Peter says Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any other human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not corrupt it. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you today. I have missed you so. Um, <laughs> do, what? I'm being sincere. I am, honestly. No, we did, uh, we did visit another church while we were away, but there's nothing quite like coming back to your home family, is there, and, uh, and worshipping together. So I am thrilled to be here this morning. I've had a lovely time away with the family, time of relaxation, time in Spain, and um, I hope that those of you that have managed to get away have enjoyed yourselves as well, and those without children or uh, people that have to go to school, I hope you enjoy your cheap holidays over the coming <laughs> weeks and months. <coughs> I'm not jealous at all. Um, but here we are in September, and uh, it's an exciting uh, few months ahead for us in the church. We've got our Alpha courses starting. I know we keep going on about it, but we're really excited about these Alpha courses. Uh, and we've got a parenting course starting up at the same time as well, uh, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. But for me, September always feels like the second start of the year. It's not just that it's the, the, the uh, academic year begins, it's more than that, isn't it? You know, summer, you, you allow yourself to let go a little bit. You enjoy some indulgent barbecues and you, uh, you, know, you get a bit relaxed, drink what you should, eat what you shouldn't, and then September arrives and we start making those, those promises again. You know, it's time to get back on the wagon, isn't it? Time to get back on the diet. We're going to make sure the kids are in school uh, on time this term. <laughs> And we promise ourselves that we're going to do better. And then Monday morning arrives and we haven't got time for that healthy breakfast we were planning. So we throw some cocoa pops in our face as we race out the door 15 minutes late. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's like habits and routines always seem to win out over willpower, don't they? And uh, I think this could be true of our faith as well. Often we want to do better with our faith. We want to, to read our Bibles more. We want to understand God's will for our lives more. We want to be more spiritual, more uh, feel like we're closer to God in our lives. We want to be better Christians. And so we, we make these promises. You know, we say things like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible in a year this year. And we get up, you know, on the first morning and we read five chapters. And it's brilliant and, and God speaks to us and we get excited. And the next day we read another five and we think, this is fantastic. And that day comes where we just don't quite have time and we think, never mind, I'll read double next week. And then you don't and then suddenly it's fallen by the wayside. Or even more ridiculous, we say things like, oh, I'm going to get up an hour early and, and spend that full hour praying to God before I start the day and be full of energy and, and go for it. And then 6am arrives and we decide to hit snooze and <laughs> instead and get up. And maybe this is just me, I'm not, I'm not feeling uh, you're agreeing with me here. Well, we seem to fall back into the same routines, the same habits. And this morning I want to start a new series 
uh, with us called spiritual rhythms. Now, I know I've used a picture of um, the drums on the logo, but actually it's got nothing to do with drumming. I'm sorry, Nathan. False advertising, I know. Um, But I've used a picture of the drums because I want us to think about what a rhythm is. And a rhythm is is a strong, regular and repeated pattern. It's a habit, if you like. And we all have good habits and we all have bad habits, don't we? Getting up to come to church on a Sunday is a good habit, I would suggest. Spending an extra ten minutes in bed and missing breakfast is probably a bad habit. So when we talk about spiritual rhythms, what I'm interested in is those regular patterns of behaviour that help us develop our spiritual selves. Help us to grow in our faith and grow as Christians. I've used, um, I've used a number of books to put together the series, um, which I've borrowed various bits from. This one called Raw Spirituality by Tom Smith. One called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And another called Habits of Grace by Dave Mathis. And if you want to do some, some reading alongside this series, then I suggest um, any of those would be a good place to start. But actually the greatest source of information that we have about spiritual rhythms comes from the person of Jesus. And that's who I want to focus on this morning. This is where we're going to be starting. If we're going to learn these spiritual rhythms, then we need to start by looking at Jesus and asking, what does he really mean to us? Now, the writer of the Hebrews calls Jesus the radiance of God's glory. I love that. And he calls him the exact representation of God's being. The his there refers to God. And Jesus came here, didn't he, to show us how to live, to show us how to be spiritual beings as well as physical beings. I'm going to read to you from Matthew's Gospel, um, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase, so it may be a little bit different. Excuse me. It says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. And it says tenderly because at this point Jesus had been, um, he'd been speaking to the people and he'd been annoyed, he'd been frustrated because he'd been telling them how to live. He'd been trying to show them um, his message, showing what he'd come to earth to do. And he'd done miracles in these places and they hadn't listened to him. They'd ignored him. Um, So he was frustrated with the people. But he calmed down and now tenderly he says, The Father has given me all of these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation, coming out of the father in some intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. So Jesus is telling us that he's come to show us how to do this. For anyone willing to listen, he's prepared to sit, he's prepared to teach us, he's prepared to help us grow if we are willing to listen to him. And then, listen to what he says next. Are you tired, worn out and burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You love that, the unforced rhythms of grace. 
What a fantastic way Eugene Peterson just puts that there in the message. Martin, I know, spoke last week um, on on grace and, and God's grace towards us. And Jesus came to show us how to live in that grace. And many religions have um, weighty expectations on their followers, don't they? If you, know, if you think about Islam, you, um, you have to uh, fast during Ramadan and you're expected to pray five times a day and you have to make a, a pilgrimage to Mecca or um, the Jewish faith. You, know, you, you observe the Sabbath and there is uh, ritual clothes that you wear and certain foods that you have to eat. But Jesus describes this way of living as living free and light. And if we're going to learn these spiritual rhythms over the next few weeks, we need to learn how to walk with him, how to work with him, learn how he does it. We need to try and understand him better. Now, when Jesus was on earth, a number of years ago now, um, he surrounded himself with followers, and there were 12 specifically who were called disciples. And disciple is... Um, something of an antiquated word, it's not a word that we use very often now, but it's someone who tries to be like somebody else. Now, Amelie, my daughter, um, is a disciple of Elsa um, from Frozen. There you go. And uh, for months and months and months after that film came out, she wanted to be just like her, and she was desperate to grow her hair into a, a plait that she could wear over her shoulder, just like Elsa. Um, unfortunately, her hair wasn't, and in fact, still isn't long enough. So we had to buy one of those fake plaits that you attach to a to a hairband, and then we had to buy the costume, and then we had to buy one of these things that attaches to your wrist and shoots silly string and. She could pretend it's ice and she would sit for ages and watch the videos on YouTube and learn all the moves, all the way that Elsa does it as she's building her kingdom of ice and she would learn that song, you know the one. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it to you this morning. And she would, someone say, oh, you you don't mean that, you don't. And she would dress herself up in this outfit and she would go into the garden and she she would construct this imaginary kingdom of ice with her hands as she moved around. I won't work on podcasts, but just be assured I moved wonderfully, elegantly (laughs) across the front. And you know, the disciples were trying to do the same. Not to build a kingdom of ice, but to to build the kingdom of God. Like what I did there. Amy read to us this morning from Matthew 16, and that's where we're going to focus this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Now on this particular day, we find um, Jesus and his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now you'll probably recognise the Caesar part, that was uh, the Caesarea part, that's a title that was given to Roman emperors at the time. After Julius Caesar, they adopted the Caesar bit and the, the ruler at the time of Jesus, the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus was a guy called Tiberius Caesar. The Philippi part comes from Philip who was Herod the Great's son. And uh, in Jesus' day, Philip used the temple that was located in this place as a place to worship the emperor, the Caesar. And so he renames it Caesarea Philippi, which if you think about it, is pretty egotistical. Um, But that's where they are. So Matthew 16, verse 13 reads, When they... Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? 
They reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow. So there's two questions that Jesus asks his disciples in this place. Who do people say I am, or the Son of Man is, and who do you say I am? But before we get into those questions this morning, I just want to come back to the location. Because if you look um, at verse 13, you see that it's Jesus who brings them to this place. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And this is significant because this isn't the sort of place that you go if you are a good Jewish boy. This is a bad place. In recent times, it had been commandeered by Philip for the worship of the emperor. But before that, it was this place of significance for pagan worship. Specifically for worship of the god Pan. In fact, before it was called Caesarea Philippi, it was called Peneus. After the god Pan. And there's this cave, which is still there today. That's what it looks like. You can go and visit it. And it contains this natural spring, this well of water that comes out of the cave and flows out. Um, And so the, the, the pagans believed that this was an entry point for the gods into this world. And so they would use this place as a place for their worship um, and their sacrifice. And it wasn't quite how we did worship on a Sunday morning. It was horrendous acts, things that include um, child sacrifice. And so this place had earned a nickname. And the nickname was the Gates of Hades. I remember a number of years back I stayed on a very... Um, grotty campsite in West Wales um, called Shell Island. Put your hand up if you've been. No, okay, I can. Ca- oh, one, okay. Yes. Um, and we had this miserable, miserable week and it rained all the time. And I remember as we left, someone had scratched the S off the sign, so it just read Hell Island. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, that is really an apt description. Um, but compared to this place, it wasn't. This place really was deserving of the nickname, the Gates of Hades. So often I think when we read this chapter um, and we get to verse 18 where Jesus talks about building his church and the Gates of Hades not overcoming it, we we get this mental picture in our head, don't we, of of demons flying in with oversized pitchforks and angels like flinging their halos at them and Van Halen playing in the background over a pit (laughs) of hell. But actually the picture that Jesus presents here is, is... Very down to earth. It's a very literal thing that he's saying. You can imagine him standing in this place with his disciples and saying, guys, I'm going to build my church. And even this place, where all this bad stuff happens, where all these difficulties are, where all this history of of horrendous things has taken place, even this place will not overcome it. This is where I'm going to build my church. And actually, this this is a dangerous picture of Jesus for us, I think. Many of us are prepared to follow Jesus when we're in church on a Sunday morning. 
But how many of us are prepared to follow him when we're standing at the gates of Hades? If we want to learn to follow Jesus properly, to really understand what it means to follow him, then we need to prepare to take him outside of the walls of church on a Sunday morning. Remember that slogan a few years back, a, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. I want to suggest this morning that Jesus is for life, not just for a Sunday morning. And I think sometimes we struggle to develop spiritual rhythms in our life and to stick to things because we're only prepared to follow him in that 10 minute quiet time that we set aside. Or in our midweek group. And in order to see Jesus in action, we need to be prepared to take him to those places that are completely devoid of light. Like the pagan cave or the staff break room or the college playground. And so it's in this place that Jesus asks the question, who do people say I am? And the disciples answer and they they mention John the Baptist and they mention Elijah and they mention Jeremiah and they were all names of prophets, um, people sent by God, important people, sure, but people nonetheless. And these are very uh, culturally specific and, and chronologically specific answers that they give. The answers, I'm sure, that you would find today um, will be quite different. And in fact, we might find some of those answers as we do Alpha together in the next few weeks and we start to ask people these questions. What do you think of Jesus? And people have all sorts of opinions about Jesus, don't they? Some might tell you about hippie Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon the little child. This is the Jesus with long flowing hair, a beautiful ornate gown, carries a lamb around for some reason. Maybe in case he gets peckish. Um, (laughs) There he is, there's a picture. Other people might tell you about disapproving Jesus. You know, the Jesus that carries around a big sign with the words no, followed by an exclamation mark and Stands in the corner shaking his head any time you even think about having or doing anything remotely fun. That's that one. The artist Banksy portrayed Jesus as on a cross, um, but holding shopping bags. That's it there. And Jesus for the consumerist age. Perhaps where we just buy into the bits that we like and leave the bits that we don't like. Maybe that's a more of an apt description than we would care to admit sometimes. Some people see Jesus as a great philosopher. Some think he was a zealot or a religious radical. Um, if, you belong, if you're part of the Islamic faith, then you may even still describe Jesus as a prophet. You know, many young people think that Jesus is a fictional character. I've, I've had many conversations where they think Jesus is similar to Winnie the Pooh or Tintin and just completely made up and uh, unaware of the historical evidence for his existence. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't allow those that follow him to get away with other people's description of him. Jesus likes to make it personal. Jesus always makes it personal. And he says, who do you say I am? What's your understanding of me? Who am I to you? And you know, our Understanding of Jesus is important. It's really important because it determines the value that we replace on that relationship with him. If we have a small understanding of Jesus, then we'll be uninterested in what he has to say to us. 
The first word that Peter uses is Messiah. He says, you are the Messiah. And another word for Messiah is Saviour. Um, and, and perhaps for many of us, this is our first understanding of Jesus. You know, the Jesus that's on the cross, the Jesus who died for us so that we can go to heaven, the Jesus that frees us from sin and offers us grace and forgiveness. I met this Jesus when I was nine, ten years old, when I was a child. And I remember being completely overwhelmed that my sins were forgiven and that I was, I was guaranteed entry into heaven one day. And it was this wonderful moment, this turning point in my life. But it left me with a lot of time to kill in between. And sure, you know, I've had to come back to my saviour Jesus many a time. And I'm only human and often I have to come back to the cross and ask for forgiveness again. But if Jesus is the person that I come to when I mess up only, then I'm not really following him. I'm just sort of popping back when things go wrong. And he's sort of become a, a spiritual mechanic, if you like. Come on, Jesus, give me a quick tune-up and I'll uh, go off and be on my way again. See, Jesus has saved us from our sins, but he's saved us for more than just heaven. Following Jesus requires us to look a little bit deeper. Peter also calls him the son of the living God. What an incredible statement. Not just a man, not just a a prophet with a message from God, but actually the son of God. Someone who is absolutely worth paying attention to. At the end of Matthew, Jesus commissions his disciples, his followers, to go and make more disciples, make more followers. And he tells them this, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All of it. All authority in every area of our lives has been given to me. How true is that statement for us? Does Jesus have authority when we're with our families? with our children or parents? Does Jesus have authority when we're at work or school or college? Does Jesus have authority in our leisure time? How much authority do we allow Jesus to have in our lives? You know, he's described by many as a a teacher, which means he must have been smart, intelligent, brilliant even. How many of us would put him on a list of the top five smartest people that lived? How do we really consider Jesus. You know, here was someone who knew how to to change the weather by the way he spoke and his physical presence. Someone who knew how to turn water into wine. Someone who knew how to turn dead cells into living cells. This is an incredible, incredible person. I love reading those stories, um, you know, in in the Bible where the the religious leaders of the day try to trap Jesus and they, they work out these clever little ways of trying to get him in trouble and he always finds a way out of it. This is a smart clever person. And Tom Smith um, says that if we don't think of Jesus as brilliant, then we relegate his teachings into a compartmentalized spiritual aspect of our lives that we think is not in touch with our reality. And I think he's right. You know, we need to not only recognize Jesus as a savior, but also as as a teacher, as someone who has authority in our lives, all of them. But wait, there's more. In the same verse where Jesus tells them that all authority has been given to him, he also instructs the disciples to teach people to obey everything that he has commanded. 
If we're going to follow Jesus, there is an expectation of obedience. You know, you can see it in the early writers of the New Testament, people like Paul and James describe themselves as servants or, or slaves of Jesus. And they refer to him as Lord. And, and Jesus himself puts it rather bluntly in Luke, where he says, You call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. Now, as children of post-modernity, there's a sentence opener, um, we find this quite difficult, don't we? I think we're taught to be suspicious of people that are uh, in authority over us. We're not not comfortable with blind obedience. Many of us struggle when the worship leader tells us to stand up, (laughs) let alone when someone is telling us how we should live our lives. And this is why it's so important that we have to understand Jesus as saviour and teacher first. Once we know that Jesus is the kind of master who is prepared to save us, cares enough to save us and knows enough to show us how to live, is brilliant enough to understand every area of our lives, Then, and and once we know that his heart is towards us, then obedience should become second nature. And towards the end of John's uh, gospel, towards the end of his life, Jesus makes this incredible um, gesture towards the disciples, to to those that are trying to be like him. He gets on his, his hands and his knees before them. The Messiah, the Son of God, gets on his hands and knees before them and he washes their feet. And he says this to them. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be happy if you do them. You'll be complete and whole if you live this way. Obedience to Jesus isn't isn't about being oppressed. It isn't about being kept down and having to do what someone says. It's about living in the way that will make you the most fulfilled and the most happy. You'll be blessed if you do these things. And a short while after the the foot washing, Jesus says to them, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. See, our obedience to Jesus is, is about partnering with him. Jesus shows us what the Master is doing. Remember at the start, when we read from, from Matthew, where it says, No one knows the Son the way the Father does, or the Father the way the Son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line for anyone willing to listen. You know, Paul just didn't call himself a servant of Christ. He also called himself a co-worker of Christ. So when we follow Jesus, are we following a saviour, a teacher? A Lord or a friend? Or is it all four? You see, we need to be careful here, don't we? Because if Jesus is just teacher and Lord, then our relationship will become um, oppressive and and wearisome and, and, and burdensome. Certainly not living free and light. But if we just see Jesus as saviour and friend, then we run the risk of becoming too inward focused and contemplative. And we miss out on on being able to partner with him and and work with him in all of our lives. 
We need to hold Jesus in high regard, understanding and submitting to his authority in every area of our life, but knowing that his love for us is far beyond anything that we've ever experienced. He loves us. So where does this leave us? I have a friend, just the one. Um, We'll call him Simon B. No, that's not fair. Let's call him Mr. Bristow. (laughs) Keep it anonymous. Um, And he he once received a Snapchat. Don't worry if you don't know what a Snapchat is. um, From a a guy called Corbus. I don't know who that is either. Um, But apparently he's this brilliant drummer. And he received this Snapchat, and he was so thrilled with this Snapchat that he put it as, a, as the wallpaper on his phone for months. In fact, it might still be on there, I don't know. It is. Yeah, okay, good. And, uh, and he would tell everyone about this, this Snapchat that he'd received from Corbus. I'm sure he was met with many shrugs. Um, but for him, it was this incredible thing that this musician that he admired so much had sent him this, this personal message. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened if he'd received a friend request on Facebook? I think you'd have lost it. How do we respond when we receive a friend request from someone that we love and respect and admire? See, in Jesus' day, teachers or, or rabbis, as they were called, would never send out requests for disciples. If you wanted to, to follow a rabbi, you would have to go and request to follow them, and then they would decide whether you were worthy or not to follow them. But actually, this is exactly what Jesus does and did. See, after he calls them friends here in John, he says to them, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, as part of my mission, the Father will give you. And this is a friend request that's made to all of us that we can either choose to accept or reject. Let's just go back to where we started. Are you tired, worn out, and burnt out on religion? I get, <laughs> I get that. I get the trying to be more religious and failing. I understand that. It doesn't work often, does it? But Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life, and I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, and work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If we're going to learn these spiritual rhythms, then first of all, we need to learn, or perhaps for many of us, relearn what it means to follow Jesus. Not just on a Sunday morning, but all the way to Caesarea Philippi, to the gates of Hades, whatever that might be in our life. Following Jesus is for life, not just a Sunday morning. And perhaps most importantly this morning, we need to to come up with a response to the question, who do you say I am? Remember, Jesus likes to make it personal. And he's asking all of us today, who do you say I am? Never mind about what the world says. Who am I to you? Am I saviour? Am I lord or master? Am I friend? Teacher? Or all four? Before we, um, the band come back up this morning just to, to, to close our time with, with, with a some more worship, I think it would be good just for perhaps all of us 
just to spend a couple of minutes in reflection. I'll pray to close. But just pondering that question, who do we say Jesus is? Maybe you've never asked yourself that question. Maybe Jesus has just not, never been a feature of your life. And you're just hearing about him for the first time this morning. Jesus has sent you a friend request. He wants to get to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to work with you to change your life. And you can respond to that this morning. And for those of us that have, have been in the faith a long time, as we here in September, thinking ahead to the things that we're, we're going to be doing, let's just get this right first. Let's just make sure that we are following Jesus first.